0: Good afternoon, America, and welcome to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. You are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. We are happy to have you on board today. Happy to have you a part of the conversation. And speaking of the conversation, it's about to get real. We're about to step it up a notch. Uh, Before I introduce our guest, I would like to set it up. Uh, The other day, I walked into our fifth grade classroom, and I'm passing out, uh, you know, some honor roll certificates. And all of a sudden, the fifth grade boys in the room stand up, which I thought it was odd. They, you know, they never stand up when I'm passing out honor roll certificates. And I look behind me and I see an adult female teacher walk in the room. And that's why the boys were standing, because an adult lady had entered the room. Uh, The next morning, the fifth grade teacher came into my office and he said, if we don't teach the boys, the men will never know. And I started thinking of, about that statement in terms of, if we don't teach the kids, the adults will never know. And and I feel like the left also understands that. And they understood it so well, they decided, if we don't teach the kids, the adults will never know. And so here we are, and, and they, they've stopped teaching the kids. Uh, today, uh, joining us is uh, a very special guest, a man by the name of Alex Newman. Many of you know Alex. He's an award-winning international journalist, educator, author, speaker, nationally syndicated radio host, and consultant. Uh, Alex, I think that the best part of your bio here, though, is the is the last statement that says, Who seeks to glorify God in everything He does? Uh, Thank you for doing that.
1: Thank you, I appreciate it, and and that really is ultimately why I do everything that I do. You know, I'm a journalist, um, but first and foremost, I'm a Christian, and Jesus tells us to do everything for Him. Right, We're, we're told to do all things as under the Lord. And so I, I think that ought to be true, whether we're plumbers, whether we're mechanics, whether we're journalists, whether we're radio hosts. Um, I think we ought to do everything for the glory of God. And uh, that brings blessing. It also sometimes brings persecution, but that's okay.
0: That's okay. We'll take it. You know, sometimes you got to get on the front line and just uh, and go after it. Absolutely. So thank you for doing that. We, um, you know, the the past couple of, of weeks, we, we just came out of National School Choice Week, uh, and uh, you know I've I've been hearing a lot about it. Uh, haven't talked a lot about it on the show, only because there's something about it that bothers me a little bit. And I was reminded of something that you wrote. It, it came in one of the publications that I get. I get a ton of publications, and you know, I see an article I like. I I I put it aside. And there was there was something that that you had put together, uh, and you titled it UN report: Use tax money to control to control private schools. And and I remember reading that, and it's just been eating away at me. Um, but before we dive into that, before we dive into school choice and all of that, after Andrew and I set up this interview, uh, you know, my copy of the book came in uh, indoctrinating our children to death this is alex's most recent book and friends it is a fantastic read alex i just i i started it and i couldn't put it down uh, and and there's some things here i would like to to dive into before we get to school choice um the first thing is uh, chapter 7 in chapter 7 you talk about foundations and you, you specifically mention here i'm going to go to page 40 uh, you call out the ford foundation the rockefeller foundation the carnegie endowment uh, and and at the at the in the second paragraph you say the goal was to so alter life in the united states that it could be comfortably merged with the soviet union and it just sounds so easy and and, and so smooth to the point where it where it was happening so smoothly we we weren't paying attention can you dive in a little bit to um into the foundations and 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 the game that they've been playing
1: happy to do it dean and thank you again for having me on the program Uh, it's an honor to be here it's an honor to be able to speak on this subject And a little bit of the context before I get into the foundations, you know, one of the things that we do in the book is we expose the enormous role of communists in setting up this so-called public education system. I mean, all all of the key men from start to finish, uh, going back to the early 1800s, who were involved in setting up this system in a major way were communists. And then right around the turn of the century, uh, early 1900s, you have something really interesting happen. These uber wealthy supposed super capitalists have a convergence of interests with the communists. And, you know, John Dewey, of course, is is pretty well known as the founding father of America's public school system. And, and he was pretty openly a communist. He wasn't a revolutionary communist. He didn't believe in using violence to overthrow the system and so on. But he believed in a gradual approach of kind of creating what the Soviets called the new Soviet man. He actually loved the Soviet system. And he said so quite openly in a series of crazy articles. You look back, you think. How could this guy have said these things? This is a regime that murdered tens of millions of people. It's bonkers. But so John Dewey in the early 1900s got a big, huge grant from the Rockefeller. It wasn't called the Rockefeller Foundation at the time. It was called the General Education Board. This was early on in the John D. Rockefeller's philanthropic efforts. And, you know, part of it was they just wanted to launder their image. They had all this money. Everybody's like, "Oh, robber parents. We don't like you. And so they thought, well, we'll just give away some money and uh, make the people stop being mad. But uh, there was also the the guy he put in charge of this operation um, very much believed that working within education would be a powerful way of shaping the minds of the next generation, of the future workers in the Rockefeller empire. So you had some of the wealthiest so-called capitalists in the world teaming up with actual communists because they all had this similar interest. They wanted dumbed down, indoctrinated worker drones and, and serfs who would not ask a lot of questions, who would not get deep into thought about, you know, what, what should the government be doing? You know, theological questions, philosophical questions. You, you just turn the screw at the factory, please. And when you hear the bell, you move to the next station. Right, we don't need you doing the thinking. We'll handle all that for you. And then, you know, you fast forward a little bit more And you had not just the Rockefellers, but many other super wealthy dynasties. The Carnegies, of course, were were a major, major uh, component of this. Uh, And there were others as well, the Ford Foundation uh, and and many others that got involved very actively in education. And one of the things that they did early on with the help of John Dewey was they brought the Frankfurt School from Frankfurt to the United States. Everybody knows the Frankfurt School critical race theory, of course, is a descendant of their critical theory that they infected in our academia. And Congress got really concerned about these big foundations because in one way, yes, it was just a way of evading taxes. The, these uber wealthy people that today they'd be billionaires back then, you know, billion wasn't really a thing yet. So, uh, But the billionaires of the day, if you will, were earning all this money, uh, sometimes in unethical ways. I, I am a capitalist. I'm a free market guy, but I'm not going to defend everything that John D. Rockefeller did. Uh, so they're earning all this boatload of money. And they don't wanna pay taxes on it. And of course, I I, I wouldn't wanna pay taxes on it. No, nobody with any sense wants to give money to the government to squander on wars and who knows what else. So they put it all in these tax exempt foundations. And that's where the real trouble started coming. These foundations became a target of subversives and evil doers. So that e- even after the, the people who set them up, like Henry Ford, for example, passed on, it's a huge pool of money that's constantly growing, that's being used to reshape society. So Congress gets suspicious. They launch an investigation um, they, they launched several. They create some select committees, a congressional select committee to investigate tax exempt foundations. And what they find is absolutely shocking. Um, they found basically that a lot of these huge foundations set up by super capitalists were promoting collectivism, socialism, moral relative. And, and this is what they said in their concluding report. This is not my opinion. This is what the congressional investigators found. And the most stunning piece, and you quoted from it, the chief investigator, uh, for Congress on this operate, they had the Reese committee and the Cox committee. So the chief investigator was a gentleman by the name of Norman Dodd. And right when Congress set up these investigations, he was summoned to the office of the head of the Ford foundation. Alan geithner was his name. And, uh, Norman Dodd later explained in an interview, absolutely earth shattering with a, a guy called G Edward Griffin, who's a friend of mine. I serve on his boards. He's a great American. And, um, According to Norman Dodd, Alan Geither said to him, look, you don't have to investigate us. I'll tell you what we're doing. We're working with the White House and we are working to so alter life in the United States that it can be comfortably merged with the Soviet Union. So you come full circle here where you got the super capitalists, the the radical communists working together for subverting uh, individual liberty, for subverting our constitutional order, for subverting our national sovereignty, and for really creating a one-world system. Now, it's not that David Rockefeller and, or John D. Rockefeller, it's not that the Carnegie's were hoping to have the proletariat loot all their wealth, right? Uh, communism is just a, is a narrative for the fools, for the useful idiots. Oh, we're gonna be equal, yay! We're gonna steal stuff from our neighbor who has more money. It's just for the fools. The people at the top don't believe this, but what it does is it completely eliminates individual liberty. Uh, John D. Rockefeller was quoted many times uh, about the the abhorrence he had toward competition. He didn't want to compete. He loved monopoly capitalism, where he wouldn't have to worry about other companies starting up and and challenging him. So the foundations were absolutely instrumental in this. Rockefeller, Carnegie were two of the big ones, but many of the others. And they narrowed in on education. And and the Congress found this. You should read the report. Uh, They narrowed in on education because that was the way to subvert the youth. And one more thing that Congress found, and then I'll turn it back to you, Dean, they found in the late 1940s, early 1950s, that America had already undergone a revolution. They talked about the revolution as being in the past tense. Amazing, right? Americans don't realize this, but we did go through a revolution a- after the Great Depression. We had the Great Society. We had uh, the, the New Deal, excuse me, and all these new government pro- We had already undergone a revolution. And what these congressional investigators wrote in their final report was that this revolution never could have happened with the consent of Americans, if education had not prepared the way in advance. And so that's what they did. They brainwashed an entire generation to believe that this stuff was acceptable. They had a revolution and America was fundamentally transformed. And we're not done by the way, with the fundamental transformation. And a lot of these same foundations are still leading the charge.
0: Unbelievable. So it 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 seems to me that while we are looking to the political arena and and we're thinking you know that's where the war is that's where the battle is that's the battlefront in actuality that's been a diversion almost and the actual battlefront has been in the educational arena under our noses and we haven't even realized it
1: i think that's the best way to summarize it you know there's the old cliche that politics is downstream from culture it is it's very true it's a cliche because it's accurate but what's upstream from culture. Well, education right yeah. so The education is going to shape the minds the the views the world view of the children that's going to shape the culture and that is what ultimately impacts politics so we're dealing with the symptom over here well we got to elect more Republicans that's going to save us. Uh, and Republicans are conserving whatever we had you know 10 years ago right And you see this mm-hmm. on Fox News so now all the radical changes that the radical left brought about 20 years ago well now we're trying to conserve those as conservative Republicans it's ludicrous so mm-hmm. if we really want to to be successful in this battle for the future of the United States, for the future of our constitution, for the future of Christian civilization, it's going to have to begin with education. Um, We cannot, and I say unequivocally, we cannot successfully defeat this evil agenda if we continue handing 80% of our children over to the evildoers to be indoctrinated and prepared to not just submit to this evil agenda, but to embrace it wholeheartedly.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Which takes me to Chapter 8. In Chapter 8, you get into the teachers' unions. And you say this on page 51. As far back as 1920, the NEA created its so-called International Relations Committee. The ostensible purpose was to help build world understanding. But the real agenda soon became crystal clear to anyone who was paying attention. Can you dive into that real agenda?
1: Sure, and one of the great things about so many of these characters and so many of these institutions that I'm exposing in the book is that we don't have to speculate. We we don't have to be a fly on the wall in the smoky room. Uh, they left a paper trail. Right? The <laughs> NEA was putting this stuff in their own publications, in their newsletters. They're making these speeches publicly to their membership, so we know what they were thinking. Now, you know, the NEA when it started off was a rather harmless organization. It was a professional group, a very very small, insignificant group of teachers, but. Uh, Very smart and very evil people figured out, hey, if we can get the teachers, we can get the kids. And so the NEA, uh, over the succeeding decades and ultimately succeeding generations, became a mega powerhouse. It is one of the most important players on the national political scene today. Um, And and again, people don't realize it because they're not talking about this on the front page of the news. You're not going to hear too much about it on Fox News or CNN or any of the others. But they use hundreds of millions of dollars that they're collecting from teachers in the form of teacher dues to elect the politicians who will then do their bidding. And it's a nasty cycle that feeds on itself. And so as far as the views of the NEA, Starting right around the turn of the century, in the early 1900s, they started getting more and more radical, uh, like John Dewey, who they made the honorary life president, right? I mean, that should be a, a pretty big warning sign right there. Guy who loves the Soviet Union uh, and invented a new religion or what he calls a new religion, this religious humanism, I, is the lifetime honorary president? of I mean, Wait a minute, somebody ought to look what's going on there. But this union, uh, again, in their, in their newsletters, in their public speeches, and in, in their publications, openly called for, among other things, a global school board, right? Uh, When they set up UNESCO, the NEA was not just cheerleading as if they were, you know, observers of the process. They were instrumental in setting up a UN agency, the UN Educational Scientific and Cultural Organization, that would eventually come to dominate education worldwide. And that's what we're headed toward right now very rapidly, is a global education system. Uh, they also were very, very open about their hostility to free markets and the American model and their support for the Soviet model over and over again. They said, we have to uh, collectivize the industries. We can't have prices and ruthless free market competition in banking and agriculture and you know all these different industries. We need to have enlightened management of these things. So very, very technocratic, very, very uh, communistic and certainly very globalist. And again, this is not my opinion. This is not something that we have to discern or read through the lines they're telling you this in their own words and uh, you know who really did some incredible research on this was dr sam blumenfeld Uh, i'm really standing on the shoulders of giants here with this book Uh, i had the privilege of working with dr blumenfeld um in the final couple years of his life we we worked together on a book uh, that we co-authored crimes of the educators and, you know, he he did the real research. He did the real digging here. He did a whole book on this called NEA Trojan Horse in American Education. And what he did was he went to the old university archives and he pulled out the correspondence and he looked at the speeches and the newsletters. So the evidence is all there. Uh, Americans must understand that. Even teachers must understand this, right? There's no reason why you have to be part of the teacher's union. Forget the bullying, forget the threats. You don't have to be part of the teacher's union if you don't want to be. And if you are not a totalitarian, if you are not a radical who believes that little boys ought to be castrated and little girls ought to be having hysterectomies, it's not something that you should be paying dues to. And, and I think that applies to most teachers. Most teachers do not think these things are reasonable. And yet, for whatever reason, they want the security. They don't want to get in trouble with the union bosses. They keep paying the dues. Uh, it's time for this to stop.
0: Absolutely, it is. You know, the other day we were talking about Chicago and that mayor there who... uh who removed, you know, most members of the um, Chicago Board of Education, who had uh, uh, passed a, a resolution a year ago to have uh, a contract with with the police force in the in the high schools, and he dismissed them and put in his own appointees, who would then uh, cancel that contract and get police out of high schools in Chicago and this mayor was part of that uh Chicago Teachers Union and of, of course they they funded him and and they you know that that teachers union they they have their, their their puppet in place you know there there was an article that i that i saw a couple of weeks ago that said just you know talking about chicago 17% of their budget i think the article said actually went to help teachers <laughs> and the other the other, you know, whatever is going to, you know, fund the political machine. Uh, it is. It, it it it's awful. It's absolutely awful what um, what has happened uh, at the at the teachers union level. But you know what uh, the, the the Marxists are are smart, and if we stay asleep, you know, and and if we're if we're not aware. Then they just, you know, they're going to keep on steamrolling. No question. Uh, chapter seventeen. You talk about fake history, and on page one thirty-seven, you quote uh, de Tocqueville, and 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 I love this. What you point out here, it it reminds me of the meme where it starts out how it started and how it's going. This is. Uh, you know, we could, we could plug this this statement into one of those memes. He says, you're quoting here, every citizen is taught the doctrines and evidences of his religion, the history of his country, and the leading features of the Constitution. It is extremely rare to find a man imperfectly acquainted with all these things, and a person wholly ignorant of them is a sort of phenomenon. And that was, you know, in the 1830s.
1: Yep. Without government education, right? There's this pervasive mythology that Americans were a bunch of ogres before we got enlightened (laughs) by public schools. It couldn't be more backwards. Americans were the best educated people anywhere on the planet at any point in history. We had 100% literacy, basically, in cities like Boston, cities like Philadelphia. um, and, And again everybody knew the evidences of their religion the history of their country they knew political science they knew the history of rome they knew uh, you know what was going on over in europe they understood science they were very very good at mathematics far better than the the college graduates of today and um and, and this was all without any government school at all and you know if you read um Alexis de Tocqueville, he's very explicit about this. He, he explains that virtually all education was either in the hands of parents and whatever was not done directly by parents and the family was in the hands of the Protestant clergy. That was before we had had uh, large waves of Catholic immigration. So family and the church were able to produce the most educated, the most literate people who had ever existed in human history. And then we got government schools. And now, according to the federal government, less than one third of the victims of government schools are proficient in any subject. So,
0: mm-hmm. you even quote uh, at one point. Uh, I think it's in that chapter. Fifteen percent. I think you say fifteen percent uh, are are proficient in in
1: history. That's right, and you a similar through. number in civics, which
0: uh, <laughs> to me is astonishing. So when the, you know jay madison alexander hamilton these guys are writing the 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 federalist papers they um they're writing them for everyday citizens right and uh in our 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 senior class this year uh in government the kids are reading the federalist papers and they come to me and they say mr bowen this is tough (laughs) tough reading (laughs) and i just and i think but you know in 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 the 1700s, it was written for just the common everyday citizen. But right. uh, it's unfortunate that it, you know we have a situation where um, I don't know that the every the everyday average person could sit down and read the Federalist Papers and understand what's being said.
1: No chance, no chance. I've seen it. You know, I I won't mention any names. We had uh, some uh, people close to our family come over for Fourth of July, maybe four years ago or something. And so we're celebrating Independence Day. And I asked these kids, one was in, uh, I believe, eighth grade, the other was in 10th grade, give or take a couple of years. And uh, so what are we celebrating today? Well, July 4th, what happened on July 4th? I don't know. What what do you mean you don't know? Uh, So we declared independence. Who did we declare independence from? Well, I don't know. Uh, And These were straight A students, like, (laughs) It, it's, it boggles the mind, the, the level of ignorance. And and the key thing, I think, for people to understand is this was deliberate. It didn't have to be this way. It's not an organic process. We're not getting dumber in terms of our brains, per se. It's what is happening in the classroom that has resulted in this cataclysm.
0: You even talk about at one point in the book, you, you mentioned the, the, the shift from phonics to this whole word. And and that that's even been proven to to show that you know mentally it it, it does something to our synapses. I don't know where the quote is. I'm, I'm I'm paraphrasing you, so I'm not getting the your exact verbiage.
1: Yeah, and so that is, I think, one of the most critical things to understand as well. Um, Reading, teaching reading is not that hard, okay? Uh, I've got five children. Uh, We got one more on the way. My wife and I have taught each, uh, we got one little one, So, but we've taught each of the four older ones how to read in a matter of months with a free resource. Dr. Sam Blumenfeld put together Alpha Phonics. You can download it for free as a PDF from Camp Constitution. Great little tip. You can print it out on your printer. It's absolutely free. And in a few months of, you know, maybe 20 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, your child will be able to read the King James Bible by the time he's six or seven years old. No question, Uh, even slow children can do that. And yet here you have these government schools, they've got these children for 12 years at least, usually more, and we are literally graduating millions of children, 18 year olds, I guess they're not children anymore, who literally, and I use the term literally, cannot read their own high school diploma. So what happened here is a fascinating story. Uh, We touch on it briefly in this book. We give actually the whole story in uh, the previous book that I wrote with Dr. Sam Blumenfeld that I mentioned, Crimes of the Educators, but I'll, I'll try to condense it into maybe a 30 second soundbite. So Horace Mann, the founding father of America's public schools before we even got John Dewey, he wanted this novel approach to teaching reading. He thought it would be superior. And so in these government schools that he had set up in Massachusetts in the mid-1800s, he introduced this new method. Now, to his credit, I, I don't know that he was acting out of evil intent. Uh, the methodology was actually created by a reverend. He was trying to teach deaf children how to read. Deaf children can't hear sounds, so you tell them a P makes a P sound and that means nothing to them. So he had to memorize whole words. And, you know, for a deaf child, that was a, a, a really significant advancement. They maybe couldn't read every word, but they could memorize enough to decipher what was on a page. It opened up, you know, a whole new world for them. Well, Horace Mann thought, hey, if it works for deaf children, I bet it works even better for non-deaf children. Long story short, uh, all the schoolmasters in Boston got together. They wrote this brilliant essay and they said uh, in much nicer, more diplomatic language, Mr. Man, you're an idiot. We're not doing this anymore. It doesn't work. Um, And so that's it. So that was the end of it. And then John Dewey resurrected it, used it in this experimental school with Rockefeller money, graduated a bunch of kids who couldn't read or write. And the way it works to just kind of give people a a quick sense of it, our language, we use an, an alphabetic language system where each letter is a symbol that represents one or more sounds. So a T represents T. And when you combine that with, say, an O, it makes a OO sound, you got two, right? So you can decipher any combination of these symbols, as long as they're sensible, on a page. But what they're doing with the whole word method is they're teaching children to memorize entire words as if the word itself was the symbol rather than a collection of symbols. So you'll have the word, um, you know, pan. Instead of a -A P-A-N, each one representing a sound, you have, series of squiggly lines. And this represents a pan, children. This is what you cook in. So Mm -hmm. a really smart child can memorize a few thousand words. And then what happens when you get to a word that you haven't memorized? Well. There's nothing you can do. You use your word attack skills to try to figure it out from the context. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Just teach the children how to read properly. So Dewey resurrected this quackery, uh, got to Teachers College at Columbia, spread this quackery throughout the United States after World War II. It was exposed many, many times in the interim, right? Rudolf Flesch exposed it in the 1950s with Why Johnny Can't Read. Dr. Blumenfeld exposed it in the 1970s with uh, the New Illiterates and How to Keep Your Child from Becoming One. Now we have brain scans. There's a a, a neuroscientist over in France, Dr. Uh, who does uh, these brain scans of children. And what he found is you can see the physical damage in the brain, right? So the connections are not forming properly because this is quackery. And yet it's still mandated today under Common Core in virtually every public school in this country. There are, of course, renegade teachers who ignore the standards and teach properly. But if you follow the standards, your children have a very, very good chance of ending up handicapped, crippled, reading, disabled, and uh, dyslexic.
0: It's unbelievable. You know, uh I love your use of the word quackery. Uh it surfaces often in the book and every time I uh I smile. So uh thank you. We for almost
1: that. called it the Quackery Factory. So. Oh really? <laughs> that would have been a great title. We thought so too. I love quackery it. suggests an element of naivete. And of course this was all calculated and deliberate. So
0: Yeah, right. Absolutely. Okay. Uh we're up against the break. Let's um Let's pause here. We will pick this up on the other side. You're listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio.
2: The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, foreign protein cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to AmericaOutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high stress on the go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. HealthyCell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And HealthyCell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients you would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD for 25% off.
1: Asia believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best. Our Redox-based products tap into reserves within you to power your personal well-being. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code Out Loud to save
0: 15% off your first order today. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm
2: afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work.
1: Trust is earned.
2: George Washington once encouraged us to animate and encourage each other and show the whole world that a free man contending for liberty on his own ground is superior to any slavish mercenary on earth. That's exactly what we do, as you'll see when you visit AmericaOutloud.news. Now is our time. My fellow Americans, America Out Loud Talk Radio, liberty and justice for all.
0: Welcome back to The Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. You're listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. You can find us here Monday through Friday at the 2 p.m. Eastern time slot. We are happy to have you on board today. We are speaking with Alex Newman. Uh, Alex is an award-winning international journalist and uh, just an all-around really smart guy. Uh, Alex, uh, thank you again for being on the program today.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor to be here.
0: Uh, I want to dive back into indoctrinating our children to death, Uh, and I I, want to look at Chapter 22. And in this chapter, you, you use the analogy of, of the building being on fire. Uh, and on page 194, uh you say government schools aren't broken, as commonly argued by conservatives. And it, it, we hear that all the time, you know, people on the right, it's broken, it's broken. Uh but I love your analysis here, and and I I agree with it a hundred percent. You say rather, um they're working very well as their intended purpose, fundamentally transforming America by dumbing down, indoctrinating, sexualizing, collectivizing, and weaponizing future generations, as this book has documented extensively. And it has—you've done a, a marvelous job of documenting really what's been happening on on purpose. Uh, and I just have to wonder out loud: h- How in the world did did were we just asleep at the wheel?
1: It's a very good question, Dean. And, uh, you know, I think some of our ancestors and forefathers owe us an explanation, but, uh, yeah. um, you know, to their credit, uh, the people who did this were very subtle. They were very deceptive. Um, you know, and they, they found ways to manipulate Christians into supporting this, you know, one of the tricks that they did, and I touch on this a little bit in the book, uh, and, and I'm not Catholic, but, uh, you know, I, I, um, I understand that this was an issue that was abused by the government school promoters. They they told ministers, they told uh, Protestant and evangelical Christians in this country, "Hey, look at all the Catholics coming to America, Ireland and Italy. They're dumping out all the uh They're they're Papists, and and if we don't get their children and and show them the truth of uh, you know Protestantism, then America is going to become Catholic and and blah blah blah." So we need to get all their children in public schools and we need to teach them you know, proper Christianity. Now, the people who built this system, they couldn't care less. They wanted to get the Bible out of the schools and they said so over and over and over again. But it was a good tool to try to neutralize some of the uh, opposition from the Protestant clergy that really was very, very significant. I mean, you look, there there were some very heavy hitting theologians and pastors who said, wait a minute, what chapter and what verse of the Bible says the government ought to be educating my children? There, there were people who resisted. There were parents who did not want to send their children to some faraway school to learn who knows what, you know, hey, we need them on the farm and they already know how to read and they already have a Bible. What do, what, what do we need that for? so um so this was a battle and they found a lot of ways to play people off each other and of course it's also important to to point out that it didn't start like this right they 120 years ago when they were trying to convince state legislatures to maybe provide a little bit of funding to set up some public schools in some different places they weren't saying we're going to teach them that they might have been born in the wrong body and that castration is a solution they didn't tell them we're going to dumb them down so that they can't read properly they didn't tell them we're going to try to turn them against god and the bible Um, They they were very, very nefarious in that way. Um, John Dewey, uh, who, uh, of course, is one of the architects of this atrocity we call the public school system today. We reprinted an essay in the back of Crimes of the Educators, and I quoted it in this book as well. It's called The Primary Education Fetish. Um, He viewed primary education as a fetish, right? Americans are just so obsessed with teaching their little children how to read and write. And uh, he viewed that as very individualistic because when you're reading, you know, it's you in the text. It's you in the author. It's not a collective activity, if you will. So he argued, you know, we really don't need to do that so much in the younger years. Let's focus on socializing this child. Let's focus on making them understand that they're part of the community and their interests need to be subordinated to the interests of the community. And then he says, And this is the language of a conspirator. I mean, you could probably introduce this into evidence in court as evidence that there was a conspiracy at play here. He says change must come gradually to force it unduly would compromise its final success by favoring a violent reaction. So he understood if Americans, if parents, teachers, taxpayers understood what these people were doing, they probably would have been tarred and feathered, right? It would not have been uh, successful. People would have said, that's crazy. You all are crazy. You belong in a rubber room, certainly not anywhere near our children. Um, So they did it quietly. They did it methodically. You know, they left the Bible in for a long time. I mean, there was uh, hundreds of years in America where education without the Bible would have been really seen as an oxymoron. I mean, how could you have education without the Bible? That's preposterous. Uh, Going back to the the pilgrims, right? The old deluder Satan act. Satan wants to keep you ignorant of the Bible. So we got to make sure everybody can read so that everybody can read their Bible so Satan won't trick you. So this was the mindset of these people and it had to be a very gradual process. And it was. Uh, And when they first started setting up these government schools and they started passing compulsory attendance laws, it wasn't like, hey, give us your kids for nine months, five days a a week and uh, eight hours a day. And then we're going to give them homework. I was like, well, you know, send them for for a few weeks when they're not uh, helping the family with the farm. And we're just going to teach them a little bit of knowledge that they might not be able to get at home. We got some fancy books and stuff that you guys probably can't afford. So we'll just do that. So, you know, parents begrudgingly said, all right, you know, we can deal with, you know, three weeks, uh, maybe a month, you know, but, but over time they built on this and they built on it more uh, and we're still not at the end goal, right? The the Secretary of Miseducation under Barack Obama, um, uh, Arnie Duncan said in public, I've got the video of him saying it, that, uh, you know, some of these kids, we need them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They need to live at their school and for the rest of them, we need to turn our schools into, he called them community centers where the children will be coming for 12, 13, 14 hours, Hours a day and getting lots of after school programming. So they're not done with this, right? The end goal is to completely remove parents, but it had to be, as John Dewey explained, a gradual process because if people figured out, they would never have gone along with it. So it was a huge element of deception. It was an element of uh, boiling the frog slowly so he doesn't jump out of the pot. Uh, And of course, Each generation got dumber. Each generation got further away from the roots of this country, from the Christian heritage of their forefathers. And so, you know, parents said, well, you know, the schools aren't like when I was a kid. And, um, you know, and each generation says that, like, well, you know, they they don't seem as good as when I was a kid. When I was a kid, they were good because they don't have a a frame of reference. They don't know what, what it was like in the mid 1800s, say. And so each generation has said, well, I'm not really happy with this, but you know, whatever. And that brings us to today where we're still not at the end goal, but we're starting to see it come into view. And folks, if you're not alarmed by the information that I'm sharing with you, and I encourage you not to believe me, fact check it, right? we got a nice bibliography in the back of the book. If you want to do that, everything that I'm telling you is documented. It is not my opinion. Uh, You can go find out for yourself. And if this stuff doesn't concern you, then uh, I I don't know what to tell you because we're about to lose our country, our freedom, our churches, our communities, our families. We have got to get this under control. So uh, Alex,
0: what's the answer? What's the next step?
1: That's a good question, and and I'm very pleased that this is now the direction that the national conversation is heading. In, right, for a long time it was how do we fix the schools, and, and and for me that's like asking how do I fix my cancer. Um, you know, do we change the shape? Do we move it around a little bit? No, I don't want to fix my cancer. Thank you very much. I want to get rid of the cancer because otherwise it's going to kill me. So we don't want to fix the cancer. We want to remove the cancer, and I believe that ultimately is the end answer to this. And I'm not anti-teacher any more than somebody who criticized collective farms in the Soviet Union would be anti-farmer, right? Uh, But the system is rotten to the core. So I believe the first step of the solution is individual. Every mom and dad listening to us right now, every grandparent listening to us right now, everybody who has young people in their lives who's listening to us right now needs to do everything possible to remove those children from that burning building. And make no mistake, the building is burning, your children are trapped inside of it, and it's much worse than burning. Burning is a physical problem, it it can usually be healed, and even if not, it's still just a physical problem. What we're dealing with here is children are being systematically destroyed, not just physically. Again, they're, they're being castrated, they're having hysterectomies, they're having double mastectomies, they're taking drugs, they're doing abortions, they're shooting each other at school. Suicide is now one of the top causes of death in children. This would have been unthinkable a few generations ago. So they are destroying them physically, But they're also, and I think this is even worse, destroying them mentally, spiritually, academically, emotionally, uh, in in every possible way. So the first step is for everybody listening to this broadcast to get the young people in your life out of the burning building Uh, now. We don't want to stop there. There are other children trapped inside that burning building. We would be monsters if we just said, yeah, let them burn, right? That that would be monstrous. And of course, it's all going to come back on our heads too, because these are future voters, future politicians, future corporate executives who are going to be making decisions for us. We don't want to leave them in the burning building. So we need to then wake the town. Now, there is a new debate, and you alluded to this at the beginning of the program, Dean, um, what's the best way to get them out? And, And this is really the debate now that the conservative movement is having, that a lot of churches are having, that the Republican Party is having. A lot of Republican legislatures are now looking at this very question. And the one option that is being touted by people with a lot of money, people like Betsy DeVos, uh, people like uh, a lot of the billionaires that we don't like from the World Economic Forum, people like UNESCO, the UN Educational Agency, is, hey, why doesn't the government give you money to have your children in a private school? Or why don't they just give the private school money? This is one option. Uh, I contend that this is not the correct option. I actually contend that this is going to end up eliminating genuine school choice because what happens inevitably, the courts have ruled on this, who knows how many times, uh, unimaginable amounts of times, when the government is funding something, they have not only the authority to have some accountability and, and some transparency there, they have an obligation to do that. It's not okay to take our tax money and then just give it to whoever without finding out what it's going for, right? I mean, some private school might be teaching kids to be Nazis, for example. And that's one argument that they make. We can't just use public money to teach kids to be Nazis. And so inevitably, when we talk about using public money, when we talk about using tax money for school choice, it's essentially, as I see it, putting a bunch of cheese in a mousetrap. In this case, the cheese is the money and the private schools come and the parents come and say, ooh, cheese, that looks yummy. And when they take it, you're in the trap, you get your skull smashed in. So I believe we need to completely separate ourselves from the government. There's no reason that the government should have any role at all in education. It was a bad idea from a pragmatic perspective. It was an unbiblical idea. There's no scriptural support for the idea that government ought to be involved in educating anyone's children, right? A totally unbiblical idea. Um, And we have seen the fruit of it. The fruit is absolute poison. So there's no reason we should have the government in. now. I know that we're a long way from that goal. This is a trillion dollar a year Goliath. Uh, He's not just going to lay down and say, "Okay, see you later. Sorry, I was wrong. Uh, Take my trillion dollars away. There are so many vested interests in In, in some communities. The public school is the biggest employer in that community. It's like the heart of the economy. So it's going to be a long process. But it begins with parents and grandparents doing the sensible thing, protecting their own children. And then we sound the alarm, we build Christian schools, we defund the government school system as rapidly as we can, and we move toward a totally different model, a free market system where churches, nonprofits, private companies, parents, everybody can participate on a willing basis, just like we do with grocery stores, just, which which are far less important than the education of our children, right? Uh, just like we do with transportation, just like we do with all these different sectors. So I, I believe ultimately, Dean, that is the solution. I know we're a long way from there, but we have to have the end goal in mind to move in that direction.
0: Okay. So get out of the burning building and uh, it's happening slowly and, and almost quietly. and And here we've we've talked a, a lot about it. Uh, you know, even yeah, I've, I've thrown out Chicago and and the other day I, I've, you know, pulled up this map of, of the enrollment loss that elementary schools in Chicago are, are going through. Uh, I think, I think Alex, I think I counted 28 elementary schools in the Chicago school district, and there's a, a ton of schools. So 28 isn't a lot, but it is, uh, 28 28 of them had an enrollment loss of at least 20%. Some of them as high as 50 and 60. So it's it's happening. Parents' eyes are 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 opening. It's it's quiet and and it's slow. I almost feel like it needs to happen faster, you know, because the the building's burning and we can't take our time getting out. All right. So those of us that are out and, you know, those of us that are, you know, maybe in, in private Christian schools or, or homeschool or, you know, classical schools, this whole idea of, of, of taking government money is, it, you mentioned the cheese and the mousetrap. And, you know, I'm looking here uh, back in October, you know, Glenn Beck wrote this article, Texas needs universal school choice now. And he's lamenting that 32 states have some form of universal school choice, but Texas isn't one of them. And Texas needs it now. And I'm looking here at an article just a couple of days ago out of uh, Epic Times, and the headline is "Parents are winning the battle for school choice." And and this idea that um, you know school choice is well, you know, as the headline said, we're winning. We're winning this battle, and we're 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 getting the government to to recognize that we need our tax dollars to to follow us, and there's just a part of that that just makes me nervous. Uh, You know, what's the answer to that?
1: Yeah, uh, it it makes me very nervous as well, Dean. And and we have seen where this leads. Like I I just got back recently from the future. In fact, I lived in the future for many years in Sweden. Um, (laughs) And uh, you know, God bless Sweden. From the
0: future, I love. (laughs)
1: Well, and and what I tell people is Sweden is maybe twenty years ahead of us. Sometimes ten, sometimes thirty, but. Sweden is like a little test laboratory where the evildoers test out their plans, right? So you'll see a homosexual marriage there 10 or 15 years before you start seeing it in America. You'll see transgender craze 10 or 15, maybe 20 years before you see it in America. And we saw the same thing with so-called school choice. Back in the 1990s, the so-called school of choice movement was a huge thing in Sweden. Uh, and they used the very same language, the very same arguments that we hear today. I mean, literally, right? The money should follow the child, right? How many times have we heard that recently, Uh, they say, uh, you should fund students, not systems, right? So all of these different arguments that we've heard over and over again in recent years here in the United States, they use those same arguments in Sweden. They got uh, basically all the mainstream political parties uh, signed up for this. And in the 1990s, they passed universal school choice where every parent could take their child out of a government brainwash camp and then move them over to a, um, a, a private school if they wanted to. Now, what happened is they closed the trap, and, and I was there when this happened. It was horrific. So every private school in the country was automatically, when this bill, the education reform bill was passed in 2011, was required to start teaching the regime's totally unhinged curriculum. So first graders need to learn that gender is a social construct, uh, ban on the Bible, ban on prayer, even Christian schools can't have the Bible anymore, you can't have prayer. What is a Christian school without a Bible or, or prayers? Right, it, it, it's silliness. Uh, and they also went ahead and they banned homeschooling. So in one fell swoop, they eliminated school choice, genuine school choice in a way that never would have been possible had the private schools not become dependent on the state. Uh, there was one school that escaped the trap. That was the school where the aristocrats send their choice. They still have an aristocracy and a king in Sweden, you know, whatever. That's their thing. Uh, and so the aristocrats didn't get sucked into the system. And I'm sure that was by design. I'm sure they had a, an advance warning of what was coming. So the aristocrat school said, "Nah, we'll we'll pass on the government money. But um, we're seeing the same thing happen right now, Dean. I, I'm watching it play out. And I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so, folks. I've been warning about this for years. Arizona just passed this massive expansion, this universal school of choice. It was last year, maybe the year before now, because we're in 2024. And oh, man, all the school of choice avid Corey DeAngelis, Betsy DeVos, American Federation for Children. Yay, school of choice. Well, now they have a Democrat governor. Democrat governor, Governor Hobbs, put out a press release just a couple of weeks ago. What? We're giving a billion dollars to all these private schools and they're not regulated. They don't have transparency. They're discriminating and they're hiring. They don't want to hire a guy in a dress to teach their kindergartners. We can't have that. So she says in her press release, we're going to make the private schools obey the same standards as the public schools. Well, the reason we left the public schools was because we thought the standards were crummy and we didn't want them. So exactly the same thing that happened in Sweden is about to happen now in the state of Arizona. And it's going to happen everywhere, right? My state of Florida. Um, And, and, you know, I I should preface all this Dean by saying that a lot of the people in this school choice battle, I mean, they're, they're decent, honorable people. They believe generally the same thing that you and I do. Um, I just don't think they've thought this through. Um, and, And so I love these people, most of them, right? I know there are quite a few evildoers. UNESCO actually has been publicly advocating that governments give, Uh, tax dollars to what they call non-state actors and non-state educational providers for the purpose, they said, of imposing the equity goals, for the purpose of imposing the the hiring requirements, for the purpose of sucking them into the national testing regime. Uh, And that's what happened here in Florida. So I'll give Florida as the last example, but in in a recent article I did for the New American, there are uh, at least a dozen examples from around the world and from across the United States So Florida, last year, HB1, that shows you the priority of our rhinos in our legislature. That was the top priority. And I actually talked to Governor DeSantis about this privately at a meeting in Miami. I, I spoke with a lot of the legislators, including a lot of the leaders. Oh man, the pressure on this is just too big. I don't know how we can fight it. We did get them to mitigate some of the worst parts of the bill. But the worst element, and there's a lot of bad elements, but the worst element is that when a naive homeschool family says, oh, I want the money, And and to be clear, I could get $8,000 a year per child. That basically I'd be taking money from my neighbors to educate my children. $40,000 a year I could get to run my homeschool. I spend maybe $3,000 a year educating my children. They get a world-class education. I don't need $40,000 a year stolen from my neighbors to educate my kids, thank you. But as soon as you reach out for that money, the shackles go on. You gotta take the testing. The testing data goes to the state, which of course shares it with the feds because they're getting federal money. You've got to meet with a choice navigator who's going to assess the educational needs of your child. So one of the I mentioned that we mitigated some of the worst elements. One of the things um, that we managed to accomplish with trying to stop the worst parts of it, we took homeschoolers out of the bill. And so instead now, if you're a homeschooler and you take the government money, you're not a homeschooler anymore. You're what's called uh, somebody with a personalized education plan. And we did that very deliberately. We didn't want homeschoolers to get tangled up in this web of government craziness, which is going to eventually come. Now that's not gonna keep us safe over the long term, right? Once they've got half or, or 60% of the homeschoolers addicted to government money, all they're gonna say is, well, you're all going to do what we say now, right? You might be teaching your kids that the Bible is true. You might be teaching your kids that Noah's Ark was real. You might be teaching your kids that there's uh, maybe something wrong with uh, chopping off your private parts. We can't have that stuff anymore. So folks, beware. Beware. And I say it with with all due respect to to my friends who are promoting this. I love you guys, but think about this. This is not a free market solution. Free market solutions don't require government money (laughs) by definition. This is a government solution. And ultimately, it's going to end up corrupting Our private schools, our Christian schools, and ultimately, finally, even our homeschools.
0: Yeah, you nailed it. Uh, We can't take the government money. Yep. You know, I get um, here at Waterbrook, we have kids from, uh, you know, that attend from two or three counties, and I get letters constantly from other public school districts saying, hey, uh, one of our kids goes to your school. You know, you can access money from title whatever. You want it? And I just no, no. I don't want your money uh, because we know where it's going to to take us. You know, here in Michigan, uh, the Department of Education just sent out a letter to the state legislators, suggesting that they begin tracking every student in a private parochial or homeschool. You know, we we, we need to we need to register them. We need to start tracking them uh, you know, so not only are they, are they coming at it and, and they, they want to start tracking, you know, under the guise of making sure the kids are safe. You know, we're concerned with, you know, they're, are they being educated by, uh, uh, you know, by someone who's certified, we, you know, we have to make sure. And so they're, they're, they're going to come at it from two different ways, either the the cheese trap of money or, you know, we have to make sure these kids are safe. Uh, Ultimately the, um, as you say, the evildoers are not happy with uh, students leaving their um, their control. And whatever they can do to stop that from happening, they're going to do it. Alex, uh, can you tell us about, in the next couple of minutes, can you tell us about public school exit or how people can can find your book, how they can get a hold of you?
1: We'll be very happy to do that. Thank you, Dean. And I know we're almost out of time. Uh, so public School Exit is a ministry we started in 2019. I had done a speaking tour across the country on the subject of education, warning parents to get their children out, showing them what was going on. Um, I think I did 150 speeches just on that tour in 44 states, maybe. I've, I've now done it in many countries. I've been going around the world with this message. And so I got together with really some some incredible Christian leaders, um, You know, even former public school leaders as a state uh, superintendent. For Arizona Public Schools is now on our advisory board. Wonderful lady Diane Douglas, who wrote the foreword to uh, to the book here. And um, our goal is is very simple to get children out of the public schools. And so we're focusing on parents and pastors as uh, as the means to get those children out. Parents need to understand they have options. Parents need to understand they can do this. Pastors need to understand what the Bible teaches on education and what's happening in the public schools so that then they can tell uh, the sheep that God has entrusted to their care. And I, I do believe they must, must, it is a necessary thing for them to share these truths. The Bible says preach the whole counsel of God on everything except public school, no, uh, even on public schools, (laughs) even on education. So uh, I do hope people will get involved. We've got a small scholarship fund to help uh, financially needy families. We are helping churches and organizations across the country start up Christian schools, co-ops, foundations, whatever they need. And then uh, the book is available in a lot of places. Uh, the easiest, I, I hate to say it, is probably Amazon. Uh, you can go there and get it the next day for seventeen seventy six free shipping if you've got Prime. Uh, if you want a signed copy, you can order it from me. I'm not Amazon. I have to charge shipping. Uh, and it's not going to come the next day. It's going to take me at least a couple of weeks. I got a very tiny staff. Um, but yeah, that's how people can get it. You can get it at bookstores too for the people who prefer the old-fashioned way. And uh, really appreciate you having me on the program, Dean, to talk about these critical issues.
0: They are critical and uh we appreciate your time you've been very gracious with it uh we love your work uh, we, we we appreciate what you're doing uh we, we're happy that uh someone of your caliber and intellect and expertise is willing to to go to the front line uh and you know please know that there are others that are uh behind you and we are we are in in full support of of what you're doing what you're engaged in so Uh, Friends, uh, the book is called Indoctrinating Our Children to Death, Government Schools War on Faith, Family and Freedom and How to Stop It. It is uh, an excellent read. I encourage you to get your hands on it. Visit Alex's website. Alex, uh, thank you again for your time. We appreciate it um, and we look forward to an opportunity of doing it again.
1: Thank you so much, Dean. God bless you.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Uh, That's all the time we have. Encourage your friends and family to get on the Dean's List. Let's unite to renovate the age.